0: I think market doctor breaks stereotypes, you know, because people are not used to doctors. I mean, there's the doctor's pride. You want to see a doctor, you need to get to the hospital. I mean, she's in a white coat, you know. You need to have some money. And that was what I wanted to to demystify, Saying that health is a right. If we say health is a right, how do we really do it? And if we continue to rely on just funding, from international organizations. How do they really get to the grassroots?
1: You're listening to Aid Evolved, and I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This season, we're talking to founders, people who have built the social enterprises that are improving lives in Africa. Now, this podcast is about innovation. And because of that, we often end up talking about technology. But innovation isn't just about the shiny new gadget. Innovation is about taking a new approach to old problems. Today, we're chatting with Yetende Ayewalo. Yetende is the founder of Market Doctors, which is taking healthcare out of the elite halls of the hospitals and bringing it to the busy marketplaces and common spaces of Nigeria. In doing so, she is challenging assumptions about what healthcare needs to cost and where it can be found. This is the story of a Nigerian, a doctor, a self-starter, a woman, and a mother who pulled out a canopy into a busy Nigerian marketplace and started offering her services to the world. Some of the things I learned from Yende were what it takes to get started as a female founder in Nigeria. We talk about the kind of good work that international nonprofits and international aid will fund, and the kind of things they won't. For example, they weren't willing to take a bet on the new way of working that Yende wanted to start. So she needed to turn to corporate partnerships. And in that vein, she and I exchanged tips about how do you partner meaningfully? How do you partner ethically with the private sector? Here we go. Yende was born in Eloran, a town about four hours drive outside of Lagos. She married for love, and that's what brought her to Lagos. Though she studied medicine, she always had an entrepreneurial streak. So much so that even during her medical studies, she was running a fashion boutique on the side, just for fun. After she graduated, she went overseas to work for healthcare and insurance companies, but very quickly decided she was going to be her own boss. So she got set up as an independent consultant. During this time, a key experience while she was volunteering with the church would give her the seed of an idea for what would become Market Doctors.
0: So my first enterprise was basically about employee wellness, occupational health, corporate health, and all of that. But as I did that, because that was consulting, I had a lot of time to myself. Because, I mean, you know, in consulting, in a month you could be very, very busy. In the next two months, you may not have anything doing. So it was in those um, three months that I decided, I started to think back at my passion to help people. And that was when market doctors were actually bathed. So I I started thinking, how am I going to be able to help people? I was involved in a lot of church outreaches. I mean, faith-based organizations always try to give health care to people. So I was involved a lot in organizing it. But I saw that um, even at that stage, people didn't... In quote, value healthcare workers. People felt they could do the, do it themselves. But when you, as a healthcare worker, stepped up to organize, came with better outcomes, you know, referrals, it was much better than when people just get together and organize something. So I honed my skills in doing that for my faith-based organization. And essentially looked around in an urban place. Even though Lagos is urban, there are a lot of people living in shanties, a lot of people coming from real deep holes, you know, to come into the city centers. And I looked at where, where was I able to, going to meet people, you know, people of all walks of life. And that was why I decided market, because I know, I'm sure you know the, um, situation of electricity in developing countries that it's not so stable so you can't store things so people practically have to go to the market almost every other day because your perishable items are going to finish and in fact if you leave if you're in the low socioeconomic bad you you go to the market virtually every day because you don't Mm -hmm. even have the fridge for storage so the market was a good place one even when you're traveling from one location to the other the market will always be a bus stop where people could stop up off a bus and off back into a bus. The market is also a place where people who are retailers will come, buy wholesale and go back to retail in their locations, you know, maybe they are homes and all of that. It was also mm. a good place to go and check up, compare prices, you know. So whether you are rich or poor, at one point or the other, you're going to come to the market in Nigeria. It <laughs> looks like they, the the is like a typical mall abroad, the way the malls operate. Our markets are like that. So we are just getting into the mall culture little by little. And the mall is for, let me say the middle upper class. But when you're talking about the regular man on the street is going to come to the market. And that's why we decided to sit in the market, because I know that you go to the market, you want to buy food, you want to buy meat, you want to buy clothes, then you should be able to get healthcare.
1: Absolutely. Why not? You know what I love about that story is that I think particularly in the aid and development sector, there's a lot of people who end up getting pushed out of a job and end up finding themselves on their own independent. You also were on your own independent for a while, and that actually gave you the space to start thinking, to start scheming. I imagine if you had stayed on as a full-timer at the previous Mm -hmm. organization, maybe you you would have just been caught up in whatever is going on there. But there's something about that space.
0: (laughs) I'll say something about that. You know, when I was leaving school, my desire was to typically work in an international agency.
1: Like a lot of... Maybe UNICEF,
0: UNICEF.
1: Anything,
0: such a brand you know st- st- yeah, such a big brand that was my that was really what I wanted, but mm. as I settled down, I began to have a, a rethink. I found that such jobs were only found in particular cities if you're not in the headquarters mm. of a you know i mean their head offices are usually in the headquarters of the country you understand, mm-hmm. and yeah. also in some big cities. So if you find yourself in some other cities, it may be difficult for you to work for a WHO, it may be difficult for you to work for a UNICEF, it may be difficult for you to work for those kind of organizations. That's and true. so I began to rethink. Then again, the job involved, it always involves a lot of travel time, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. as a young mother, I couldn't travel so much. So I told myself, you know what? You can have a desire, but there's always another way. There's always another way, and that was why I put things together and I decided, okay, let me go to this to this other space.
1: That makes so much sense. They say necessity is the mother of invention. Like you know, in your life, in the whole rounded life that we as women need to navigate. There's your family, there's your faith, there's your business, there's your dreams. And finding that creative path through all of that or making that creative path when it doesn't exist, that's kind of the the art of life that we're trying to figure out here. Describe to me what market doctors is, particularly from the perspective of someone in the market. You know, you're, you're a blue collar worker, you're going in the market What is their experience of market doctors as an institution?
0: I think market doctor breaks stereotypes. Yeah. You know, because people are not used to doctors. I mean, there's the doctor's pride. You want to see a doctor, (laughs) you need to get to the hospital. I mean, she's in a white coat, you know, you need to have some money. And that was what I wanted to demystify. Saying that health is a right. If we say health is a right, how do we do it? If we say health is a right, how do we really do it? And if we continue to rely on just funding from international organizations, how do they really get to the grassroots? That is a great question. (laughs) We're all trying to figure that out. Yeah. Those were the things I thought about. And um, I looked at it. When I got to the market, my first outreach at the market was in a very big market. I put up a canopy. I put up a table and a chair and I had a blood pressure meter. And as people passed by, they stopped to check what was going on. And I told them I was a doctor. I was in the market to help. Wow. And um, I I've got never questions seen that. Like, I've never seen that. Yeah, Yeah. So I had questions like, are you a doctor or a nurse? Because they typically feel as a female, you're a nurse. So I say, I say I'm a doctor. Then you have questions that say, how much? And that's, that, that went into my head. that So people are actually ready to pay. Yeah. Even though you're a doctor in the market. Yeah, they may not be able to pay as much as they'll pay if they came to the hospital. But if you're a doctor in the market, people are actually ready to pay. Whatever they have, they are ready to pay. So that, that struck me. And um, so when I started, I initially took it free mm-hmm. to the market just to test and see if people needed the service. But that, as it went on, then I we began to charge for the services. Then I found that um, there was a gap that needed to be breached. There were organizations that were looking to help people as regards health, mm-hmm. but there was no pathway to meet the people. How do you mean? I was an, So a corporate organization uh-huh. wants to help people to have access to health.
1: Right. That makes sense. But
0: they're not doctors. They're not nurses. They can't do it, but they have the money to do it. Interesting. I am a health organization. I mm-hmm. want to help people who ordinarily don't have access to health care and who don't have money. Mm-hmm. So I can take your money from your organization and put the health post for the people to come. So someone pays for it. Someone delivers the service to the people. So it, it became a bridge. Mm-hmm. Actually, before I, I want
1: to hear more about that, um, but just before we, before we get get into that, even like diving a little bit more into the the model that market doctors provides, uh, like the idea is people are used to going to a hospital where they have all these equipment and this tests and laboratories, and whatever else, and and you can bring healthcare to the people, and that opens up so many doors, you know, because people are are working, you know, they they have an ache, they have a pain, but they just don't have time to go to the hospital. There's all this stigma around hospital; the hospital seems scary and foreign and expensive. You're able to take that away because you can be right there in the market with them. But yeah. and at the same time, it must have been a little odd. You know, people look at it and they're like, "Are you? where's your, where's your clinic? Where's your laboratory? Like, how did you navigate establishing that, that credibility or, or building up that, you know, the set of offerings you could provide in the market?
0: So one that I'd realized was that people, even when they're poor, don't want poor service. Yes The fact that they're poor doesn't mean that you should give them sub- substandard service. So I'd realize that they, they have their own pride. Two, I also realized that the cost of getting medical care is not the cost of care. There is a cost of transportation to the right. hospital. There is a cost. Because most of the people in this strata, they make income daily, which means if they have to go to the hospital, then their child will be hungry that day. Yes, or they have to close the shop. They have to travel. So that's another cost to care. When you put these two costs together, if they had that money mm-hmm. and the healthcare is available to them right in the market, they can use that money to purchase healthcare. That
1: makes so much sense. And also so much of the the you know the the vast majority of reasons people seek out healthcare are for easily yeah. identifiable easily treatable things you could you could see them in the market and you can still yes. prescribe you can still take their blood pressure you can still do all sorts of uh frontline diagnostics that yeah. can be addressed right. in a market setting and you can also refer to a hospital if it's a very Those. severe condition right yeah Okay. Wow, I just love I just love the image of you out there, you know, by yourself <laughs> under a canopy and the blazing African sun, <laughs> bringing healthcare closer. Like that's that's awesome. <laughs> so once, you, once you knew there was there was some willingness to pay, and you knew that there was an opportunity here, you also saw that there was there was an appetite for this kind of thing from the corporate side. How did you make that yeah. initial connection? Like how, what was the what was okay. the first corporate that you that you worked with and how did you bridge that gap?
0: So my initially when I started out because I didn't have very good knowledge, I used to want I always wanted to get the funding from the I felt funding from the international organization was the way. Yeah, it was available, but I noticed they always wanted to work with government. You know, they weren't, at that time, they felt private people were not um, transparent, they were not accountable, and they weren't ready to put their monies into private hands. So I said, okay, so let me leave the international organizations. Let me go to the corporates. So in the corporate world, I had, I looked at it in a huge sense. There were the pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals always had medicines they wanted to give, I mean, even as a doctor in a proper hospital, they were going to give me samples of drugs and say, "You know what? you can give your patients this drug." So they were my first point of they were my first point of call. I had this passion because malaria was is big, it's still big, so and most of the people I'm seeing were having um, the, the main cost to their medical care was malaria, so I felt I could use that as a point of contacts to the corporate. Everybody understood understands malaria and knows that malaria is a big issue, you know. So that was where I started. I first started with the pharmaceuticals. So the pharmaceuticals first started to support, you know, before you gain trust, you must be ready to work without any benefits. So they first started with products. So they give products. And um, so I treat someone, I'm able to give the person free drugs. It brings another person. I moved higher at some point when I kept on having products. So it means that, you know, you can pay me a fee and that fee, I, I can give you the entire spectrum, the consultation, the test and the drug. So you've paid for everything, though I got the drug free you understand so your cost covers other things i'm doing so it became some sort of exchange i have the drug you need the drug you don't have money for the drug but i can give you consultation tests, and the drug at a fee you know so that was how, that was how the, my first um, partnership started then over the years i decided to pick on some world health days especially malaria hypertension day and all of that and partnered with organizations who were interested in, in in educating and creating awareness about these things, so part of creating awareness was health education, then basic checks and treatment. So they basically paid us. I mean, to use to wear their brands and promote, create all this awareness. So that was another way we made money from it. Then I found organizations, especially. International organizations, oil and gas, who were working in poor communities and wanted to take health care to those communities. That was not their basic competency. Mm -hmm. So they needed people who were competent and who could do that. So those organizations started to partner Mm -hmm. with us, haven't seen our work, started to partner with us, and we took health care to remote communities. So they paid us to do that. And that was how that aspect of the model started. And as I, I like, continued to have business education, we now decided, okay, we need to create clinics in markets. Because whenever we went, people would ask us, when are you coming back? When are you <laughs> coming back? You know. So we felt okay, we could pick some markets and decide to create clinics in those markets. And that was when we got our mobile clinic. Ah, It was a huge bus. We got a mobile clinic, which we could drive around. Then we also now started brick and mortar in marketplaces. And that's where we are.
1: Oh, fascinating. Good to hear. I will say, I remember myself participating in in an outreach clinic in a geography or an area where there wasn't a nearby facility. And the, the demand or the appetite that exists when you can show up in a place where nobody has been <laughs> um, or where they know the next the next stop is even three, five kilometers away, it generates such excitement, you know, just to have it there. Because, you know, for, for me personally, like going five kilometers, not a big deal. I can hop in a car, I can get there. But for some people who don't have the transportation means, it's it's a huge overhead. It's huge. And preventative health just can't make it cut.
0: When we set up, you don't even need to do any advert or anything. Just put up your canopy, put up your table, put a blood pressure meter and sit down. <laughs> People will start. It's like a magnet. They'll show up. <laughs> They'll show up.
1: they know, they know.
0: <laughs> They'll show up. It's like a magnet. They'll show up.
1: You, so you mentioned various different kinds of partnerships and you mentioned pharma, oil and gas organizations that might be working in poor communities. Did you also mention the, the nonprofit sector or is that elsewhere?
0: Yeah, so the for the non-profits, we're, we're just getting there. A lot of them now know us uh, by reason of our partnerships. So sometimes, you know, you just get a non-profit call you and say, you know what, market doctors, I have a thousand malaria kits to donate. Mm. And they send to us. <laughs> and they send to us, you know. and um, They kind of work outside work, of
1: the market in that way. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know. Do, do, doing this work has, um, you can't imagine how, amazing and how it's expanded my horizon. You know, I remember sometime last year because of the kind of work I do, I I found that I don't actually need, I can train people to be health workers. Mm-hmm. You know, you can train people on, on, on like the normal belief where medicine is shrouded in mystery. A lot of people don't even really need that your medicine and surgery. They just need the basic things, check the meter, take a block you know they need yeah. very basic things that you can train people to do and they can escalate if there's a problem you understand so right. it has it has opened you know other other doors of things like job creation i can like the number my, my the number of people that have employed you know so it, it's a circle you mm-hmm. know even though you're trying to help people to get access to health care at the at De- 180 degrees behind you, you're creating employment opportunities for people.
1: Right. Because unemployment is such a big problem in Nigeria. And there's a whole movement of community health workers, frontline workers. And we're not Nigeria's, talking about, yeah. you know, taking years to get your nursing or your medical degree, but someone who can just take your blood pressure, take your vitals so that when it gets yeah. to someone like yourself, it can move a lot faster. It makes the whole system more efficient. It creates jobs. It yeah. provides healthcare. It's, it all kinds of it all kind of comes
0: together. Would
1: would you say that your how how big has Market Doctors grown at this point?
0: Market Doctors right now have more than fifty workers. Fifty workers across yeah across seven states. Wow. The Federation.
1: Does that mean you're not out there sitting under the canopy anymore? You have to to manage we're that multi.
0: We're, we're no longer only under the canopy we, we're still under the canopy in some locations but now like we have a we have an um, an NGO partnership that actually gave seven mobile clinics for us to work with
1: wow that's fantastic
0: yeah, seven mobile clinics and for us to work with for one year. So, you know, it's, it's when people, you just find that you align. People have thoughts about having mobile clinics, mm. but they don't know how to execute it. So they just find you doing it and they're like, hey, this is what <laughs> we've been thinking about. Come on, let's work together.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, it's true. I think there's somehow these organizations that are able to get grants and funding to provide healthcare, but they don't know how to work in Nigeria. They don't know that people spend their lives living in these markets. They don't know what a, what a gathering place of community the markets are. And so they seek out organizations like yours that actually can operate a system, you know, at this scale in all these different states in order to provide healthcare. And that feels like such a natural match. Would you say your largest partnerships at this point is with the corporate sector?
0: Yeah, the corporate sector, because, uh, yeah, the corporate sector. But gradually, we are beginning to get into the government sector because we are beginning to get recognized. Even in the international NGO space, you know, the international NGO space runs programs. Yes. So, you know, you see some, I'm just deaf, just for TB. You see another one, I'm for HIV. You see another one, I'm for leprosy. You see. It? But you see, we've positioned ourselves in a way that, Anytime we go out, if international organizations partner with us, they leverage every missed opportunity. How do you mean? So if I see a hundred people, Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, oh, I'm all going out for TB. I can't all go out for TB. (laughs) And that is how their programs operate. So they're having so many programs running simultaneously and dealing with individuals. You understand? In individual centers. But I'm saying as market doctors, if I go out and I see 100 people, if you partner with me, I can get you your TB samples. I can get you uh, HIV samples. All the programs can leverage on it. You know, so we're beginning to get those kind of feelers, especially with, like with the TB. We're beginning to get the TB international organizations telling us, you know what, anybody that comes to you, please screen them for us. Mm-hmm.
1: That makes so much sense. It's ridiculous how in a given community you'll have your HIV workers, your malaria workers, your water and sanitation workers, and they're all getting paid differently.
0: Yeah. So they're beginning to see how they can leverage on what we do, because as I'm speaking to you presently every week, Every day in six states, I'm seeing each day in six states, I'm saying, let me say 100 times six. That's 600 times four. That's 2,004 wow. people. 2,004 people, new people every day who probably wow. have not ever had access to healthcare. You understand? So yeah. you can imagine. You've come such a long it. way. So, yeah. So <laughs> wow. it's it's now we are we are now getting attractive to the international funders. You know, even though before we were not. I mean, they couldn't put anything in private hands. But right now, mm. they're beginning to see that they could actually. Leverage on what we do.
1: That makes sense. Can you talk a bit about your experience working with, particularly within corporate social responsibility programs? Having think people, uh, you know, in in the different nonprofit circles that I've moved in, there's always a sense of oh, we, we should partner with the private sector somehow, <laughs> some way. Uh, but you've done it. Yeah, you know, you've established those relationships. What what kind of? How do you create that? win win how do you how do you do that in in a clear way understanding what what they're looking for and what you can provide and the alignment between the two
0: yeah so I know that corporate organizations all of them have different goals Mm -hmm. so you first need to understand the goals in the pharma the goal is different in oil and gas the goal is different in even in finance the goal is different But Mm -hmm. there is no industry that we can partner with in healthcare. We just need to sit down together, look at their goals, and try to align. And I'll give you two examples. I'll use the farmer. When farmer partners with us, we use their products. Their products get popularity. There's always a tendency, if you've used the product and it has worked, you demand for it again creates a demand for it. So even mm. though they have given um, the services as corporate social responsibility, it is also creating visibility that makes for sense. their products. And their products move to anywhere we go, moves as far to anywhere we go. So, that makes sense. And that way we, are, we, are, we are attracting that for them. Mm-hmm. You know, So they also get something back. So it's not a case of I'm just giving market doctors money to do this. They get something in return as well.
1: Yeah, that's the mindset that makes it work, right? Like you understand at its core, pharma, the work of pharma is to sell drugs. And if there's something that you can do while helping people get healthcare, but also putting them one step closer to selling their drugs, then it becomes an appealing relationship. If you if you weren't doing that, then it would be much harder to get yeah. those doors opened within big pharma. I imagine yeah. some, some critics of CSR programs would argue that sometimes there's, there's a conflict of interest, you know, like big organizations, they, they, want something, maybe they want to oversell their drugs or, or take advantage of communities. How do you navigate that? What do you do in order to manage that?
0: So when people talk about that, I tell people, would you rather not have anything at all? You see, those arguing that are those who already have healthcare, You know, when you're comfortable, you're educated, then you sit down and you begin to say, oh, even though they're giving it free, they're getting something back. But that is saving someone's life. For some people, that's the first time they're seeing a doctor. For some people, that's the first time they're getting a proper referral. It goes beyond the money spent. It goes beyond it. You understand? So there's no way they can't cover the name of their drug for you to hand it over to someone else and they're not forcing the person to use their drug. You understand? But it goes right beyond that. The, The value attached to it is much more than that. For some people, it means that person's life. How much do you want to sell that that is worth someone's life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in any case, you're there in the markets, you're providing the service. People don't need to take it. Like if someone there has choices, they could walk away. But ultimately, you're providing the choice. Like if they want, want to work yeah. with you, if they want to get healthcare that you can provide in a subsidized way, they can take it or not. At least that is their choice.
0: Yeah. And even to add to that, even to add to that is the fact that when um, corporate bodies do CSR, it goes beyond the activity. Like I said, it's also a point of creating employment for people because people are the ones going to execute. So you have a CSR project, you use 40 people. Mm. 40 people have earned income. So it goes beyond It <laughs> goes beyond who they are doing stuff for. It also goes for people who will be able to get some income from it.
1: When I asked Yetende, what's next? To my surprise, she mentioned technology. She said they're experimenting and looking for a way to scale their work at low cost, employing local staff. And she believed technology would be the way to do it. So if you have any suggestions or tips for her, let us know. Then as we were wrapping up, She had a few last parting words of advice to share.
0: So I want to tell people where there is a will, there is a way. And why I say this is that um, when you think of anything, where I am now is at some point where I hoped to be, although I didn't know how long it was going to get me. And um, I wanted a time before any outreach, I had to be there. Mm. But today, eight outreaches are going on and I'm not in any of it. And it's working. Wow. Wow. You know, so that's why it's where there is a will, there is a way. You must first exemplify yourself in it such that you know it front and back. You know the challenges that will come before you, they come, you know it. You know, you you just understand it. And especially when you're in an industry where there's no template for it. I I, I didn't have anywhere to learn from. Yeah, There was no company doing it that I could say, oh, this is how they did it. That's wild. We had to learn, you know, we lost money. We built, we broke down, we rebuilt. Many times we had to start all over. You know, when the pandemic came, we had to shut down totally and start all over, you know? So that's why I said where there's a will, there's a way. But people should know that once you think it in your head, and it feels like something you want to do. Put all, put all in it. There will always be people that would come along the way to support. As long as it's what you want to do. There will be people along the way that would come to support us. This is what you do. I remember at an airport lounge one day. That time, whenever I'm traveling, I wear my T-shirt. like get doctors no. because I want to attract attention. Yeah. The guy came to me and said, Oh, what do you do? I told him. He said, How can I help? I said during your next birthday, during your next birthday, donate to a market. And he said it was going to be fifty that year. Uh And he donated.
1: Wow. That's amazing. That's remarkable.
0: So and people do that. Yeah. So people people do that. People do that a lot. Anybody everybody wants to do good everybody, but they don't know how to do it. So you can be a channel that people can use to do good. And that's what we're all about.
1: That's amazing. I love that. I love that. And I just love the words of encouragement because it is, it's intimidating this idea of starting on your own and doing something that hasn't been done before. Uh, But there you are, you're doing it. You're doing it right now. As we wrap up the show, let's run through our last set of rapid fire questions. These are, these are short questions, you know, just a sentence or two on each. First question for you is whether you have any guidance or advice that you would give to donors or investors who are looking to fund organizations like yours.
0: Organizations should support health Organizations like to support entertainment a lot, and with a lot of funds, you mm. know. But when it comes to healthcare, they're checking your budget. They, I mean, and sometimes I tell them, this is how much you use to just call someone to sing for ten minutes. Mm. That yeah. that can affect ten thousand lives. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> so they should they, sh- they should they should look at healthcare. That's one. Two, that's for corporates. They should also give a portion of whatever they have to health I know there are a lot of sectors struggling for attention. There's education and all of that. But they should take a look at health and handshake with us. For the international organizations, not everybody is credible, but a lot of us are credible. They should check our track record and be willing to work with us. You can't do everything with the government. The government has their own reach. We're the private. Um, we have our own reach. So they should begin to look at also working with those of us who are private individuals that own social enterprises.
1: Nice. If you could take a step back in time, what advice would you give your younger self?
0: If I could take a step back, I would um, invest a lot in business education.
1: Ah, it was something
0: true. that took business education I will invest a lot in it. Financial education is very important. A lot of us in business don't understand financials. No matter how good you are, social enterprise, even when it's an NGO, if you don't have good knowledge of finance, it will take you so long before you get balanced. That's one of the things Kathy did for me. They invested a lot in financial education for me. And also some organizations, I know there's another international agency I work with, they not only were interested in us delivering their project, they were interested in our own organization getting better. Nice. So they created a lot of templates for us to work with, which we would have needed consultants to do for us. They did all of that for us. So organizations that partner should also be ready to improve the organizations they work with. We are not at the same level with them. So for my younger self, I will train myself in financial education and business administration. Very
1: important. Nice. I love that. Particularly because when you're in school, it all sounds so boring. You know, I had no interest in finance or accounting or <laughs> statistics. And now I'm like, that that stuff is amazing. <laughs> if I had it to do all over again. I mean, our kids won't listen. But we're going to say it anyways. (laughs) Would you like to offer a shout out to someone who has inspired or guided you
0: in your work? I'll give a shout out to my pastor, Pastor Wiley Adifarasi. He simply opens doors. That's the word. He simply opens doors. I mean, my first real business education came from him, my first loan. To start market doctors. What I I mean came from him, from the church institution, from the faith based institution. The first seed funding, you know, to Mm -hmm. go use this money, try this thing out without interest, with moratorium to return after so many, many months without anything on your neck, without asking and getting letters every day for yeah. my faith-based organization. Nice. A big shout out to him. I appreciate him.
1: That makes so much sense. It's, that's the yes, hardest part too, course. just getting started and having the runway to get started. On the topic of life hacks, what's one habit you've adopted in your life To keep yourself effective or productive or motivated? Waking
0: up early. Yeah? Oh, man. How early? Anything. I'm awake by four most of the time. Oh, man. Oh, my God. And um, (laughs) because the brain works in a wonderful way that time. What you can do in early. two hours, what you can do in the early hours of the day before you start interacting with people, before you get on Instagram, <sighs> WhatsApp, and all of that, in those two hours, you may not be able to achieve it in your, if you're in the office for your nine to five. So that, that, that sets my day. If I have something important to do, if I have an important meal to send, if I have something I really have to do, I have to do it before I get out of bed.
1: Respect. Respect. That's all I can say. (laughs) Last question. And this one is just for fun. If you could recommend a book, a blog, or a podcast that you've enjoyed?
0: A book, a blog, podcast. Or a a podcast. Okay. Let me me start with book. I like reading Chimamanda's books.
1: Oh, she's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I like reading our books. I've read virtually all the series. And kudos to my husband who buys them and who is a book junkie himself. (laughs) You guys are perfect for each other. Yeah. Yeah. So I read books.
1: Nice. That's all for today. For guests who want to find out more about you or the organization, what's the best way for them to get in touch or learn more?
0: I think LinkedIn is very good for me. Mm Mm-hmm. When people reach out, I always, I mean, LinkedIn is very good. When you want to reach out, you can find us there or Instagram. But LinkedIn is fantastic.
1: I mean, and what's the best way to find out more about Market Doctors?
0: Um, we have a website, so they can uh-huh. go to the website, marketdoctors, www.marketdoctors.com.ng. Then they can also check us on Instagram. That's the best way.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show today with us.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. I had a fabulous time.
1: Yetende is delivering healthcare to people who have not seen a doctor in years, and she is reaching populations that the public healthcare system hasn't been able to reach. To do this, she's needed to pull on the resources that have come her way, be it from nonprofits, pharmaceutical companies, or even big oil. Now, some people will take big oil money, some people won't. Certainly, there's an ethical question that you have to raise when you decide to take big oil money. But I think something that we can all agree on is that. There should be a way for a smart, self driven woman like Yetende to get off the ground with a venture like Market Doctors. Big Oil certainly has its problems. But what role then does philanthropy, do nonprofits, or do government play in order to create a test bed for innovative new approaches like Market Doctors, which could actually reduce the cost of healthcare delivery? How do we bootstrap more self starters like Yetende? Join the conversation by finding us on LinkedIn at AidEvolved or subscribing to our newsletter at 8 And if you know of any great organizations moving and shaking in digital health in Africa, do send them my way. We'll see you in two weeks.